Bachelor Sports 30 podcast with Justin Hershey, Sam Curtis, and Andrew Wilf. This week, the hosts break down a pair of NIT victories for both Vanderbilt men's and women's basketball and preview the road ahead for both squads. Welcome back to another edition of the Hustler Sports 30 podcast. As always, Justin Hershey, Sam Curtis, and Andrew Wilf with you today. And we're going to talk a lot more hoops. We uh, continue to talk hoops late into March on West End, which is a really good feeling. I mean, first of all, guys, how are, how are brackets doing? <laughs> a couple, <laughs> maybe a couple upsets that hurt a little bit. Um, I, I have enough where it's just like, you know what, I'll just say I'm, I'm sure I'm doing all right in one. <laughs> right. I think it's tough. No one, no one thought Kentucky was going to lose. In fact, a lot of teams had them in their Final Four. I mean, to see just if I don't know if you saw the breakdown. I think it was on like front office sports on Instagram that the breakdown. Kentucky spends thirteen million dollars more on their basketball. Yeah, program. it's the biggest. This, it's yeah. the biggest difference in ratio. It's like it's twelve and a half, right? Because UMB, U, um, UMBC versus uh, Virginia, that was five point seven, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And this is like twice as much the, the difference in in spending. Um, incredible. it's, it's amazing the difference. And honestly, like, I, I mean, I feel, I looked at some brackets, but at a certain point I just, I just closed my eyes and clicked. So that's what you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do all this analysis so and I read all this stuff and then it doesn't even matter. My girlfriend's beating me in my pool right now. So like <laughs> it just throw it all out the window. I did see the thing about St. Peter's in Kentucky. That was pretty interesting. It was like, I mean, Cal's being paid nine million, and that head coach is like two hundred and fifty thousand or something. To, uh, like. Yeah, and and also it's cool. Like I think everyone was like, "Yeah, we really want Kentucky," but it's cool. There's something in your heart when you see a Cinderella team because you see like a little bit of having that chip on your shoulder. Kentucky always wins. It feels like, but I don't know. It's not good for the bracket, but it's good for the brand know, of March Madness. The brand and it's like, good for the soul. The cliche of saying like really anything can happen on any given day, and that's what March Madness shows you. Yep, and anything can happen on West End this season as well for these two basketball squads. Both the men and the women um, have advanced into their next round of the NIT. Uh, On the men's side, they took care of Belmont. Really fun night, and we'll talk about it a bunch in a minute, but really fun night in Nashville, uh, Belmont and Vandy. Belmont uh, takes a 10-point loss, and then the women last night really took care of Murray State pretty handily, um, and they'll move into the next round, and we'll get to them as well. But Guys, let's start on the men's side because Tuesday night was, in my four years, one of the more fun nights of Vandy sports that I can remember. I think the combination of really meaningful basketball in March, a really good performance by this Commodore team, an amazing student section turnout, probably the biggest crowd of the year, and then hundreds of hundreds of fans walking over to the Hawk to watch Vanderbilt up, uh, beat M- Michigan on a walk-off. It, it was just like, wow, that was incredible night. Yeah, well, I, I was I was covering the game from the student section, um, <laughs> and I, I gotta say it was just an amazing an amazing time. It, it was I texted Justin after, and I said that was like the first time 
I've just felt so immersed in in the van in Vanderbilt sports culture, and I think especially post COVID, like we haven't had you know a a year in a in a, in a long time where um, we've been able to go unmasked and and gather together, and it kind of just worked out perfectly that we've had this this tournament run and gotten to be at home because even if we had made the NCAA tournament, I mean, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be in this situation. And so getting to play in Nashville, rival, um, with everyone just coming together, and it, it was so much fun. And it felt like, I mean, it felt like high school, but much, much bigger this time, which is exactly <laughs> what I want um, every every game, and, and I'm looking forward to Sunday. And and a lot of prof- prospective students look at Vanderbilt and say, you know what makes Vanderbilt different than other schools at this maybe level academically is they have that SEC vibe. And the past few seasons, you know, with COVID, like you said, that might get lost. But, you know, the, the Belmont game really showed what, what, what Vanderbilt has the potential can, yeah. to be. And the student section was fully 100% sold out. And even when Vanderbilt was behind the eight ball, which was the first 10 minutes of the game, a lot of people were, were pretty pessimistic. They didn't have the lead until Clinton Laura Brown's buzzer beater at the end of the first half. There was still such a sense of like elation just to be there, and even though it was the NIT, it seemed like a, a tournament atmosphere. Yeah, that was so amazing. And maybe at the beginning we saw maybe Jermaine Mann made some uh, like nervous mistakes, ball handling, turnover issues. But I think once Vanderbilt got in the rhythm, we really saw what what they can be, and that was really exciting for uh, this upcoming matchup against Dayton. Yeah, the aisles were full, like the crowd was into it. Jordan Wright hyping up the crowd. Some of those pictures are just awesome. And it's well-deserved because this team's played a lot of really good ball down the stretch. Um, And it's exciting to see some of that memorial magic that, um, you know, gets to continue. I also had a conversation with my friends about this. But the interesting thing about the NIT is that you do get these home games. Whereas, like, the NCAA tournament, you know, I I asked them point blank. I I was like, would you rather, you know, go win the NIT get five extra games, win all five, or would you go one and done in the NCAA tournament? And I think, obviously, there's elements of the NCAA tournament that you just don't get with the NIT, and I'm not comparing the two, but I think there's a really fun element of, you know, home flair, there's a journey to Madison Square Garden here, like, this is meaningful for this squad on the up and up, and I think that's really fun, and I'm excited to see how this next kind of set of games kind of turns out. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a month ago, if I'm sure if you asked each of us, would you rather be playing in the NIT or NCAA tournament, we'd, we'd likely have said the NCAA tournament. But I think it worked out almost better in certain ways, and maybe that's just an optimistic side of me, but really to strengthen this culture, to give it hope right. for the future, would you rather be able to win a couple games or, I mean, maybe make a Cinderella run, but you never – you can't guarantee that certainly and getting these home games and getting the crowd involved and seeing what it's like to have an amazing home atmosphere I think will inspire people not only to come to basketball but other sports too maybe I mean I walked out of that stadium and so many people were heading over to baseball and ended up watching um, them walk off Michigan on a a crazy pitch and I think everyone felt for the first time in a while proud of of Vandy Athletics, which yeah. is is uh, just an amazing culture shift, and give so much credit to to obviously uh, coaches and the recruiting staff, and of course um, Candace Story Lee. And I think hitting on that point is like Vanderbilt basketball has really been forgotten the last couple years. I think amid a lot of losses, a lot of uh, turnover, things like that. 
I think if you go to the NCAA tournament this year and just lose one game, you don't get some of these experiences that a lot of these students are having at these games and that Nashville people are having at these NIT games all of a sudden. And I think this is going to rejuvenate this program and help people remember that, you know, Vanderbilt basketball has a rich tradition. It's an amazing stadium. It's, you know, a great student section. And I think that's really important to jog people's memory that this is what's capable of happening. Whereas if you just go to, you know, Texas or California to play one NCAA tournament game, yeah, students are going to watch. Maybe there's some pep rallies, things like that. But you don't get the full experience. And I think that's been important. Right. But but also, if you backtrack a few months, we also Vanderbilt also missed out on a few games where they would have had home fans. But due to that uh, that's also coming true. back from break, that that's really important because it's like you're getting more home, home games. What made uh, the Belmont game unique was even on on the the night where um <clears throat> the the night against LSU which was i thought a comparable night there was a sense of like everything being new and it was like a new atmosphere this felt like Vanderbilt was seasoned veterans the fans had been there before and there was a sense of like there's tradition and there's a lot of like the airball chants and the <clears throat> everyone yeah. coming together when when there there were runs when Scotty kind of ran away with the lead at the end of the game that that was really important for Vander for the Vanderbilt community and then for them to go from basketball and just for the staff to make a nice um, way into the baseball team it was like the, the operations were really good it seems like they had been there and everyone seemed like seasoned vets and that's really important in creating a good culture I agree let's get into some analysis because definitely lots to talk about from this game. Vanderbilt opened and was down 12 at one point, 24 to 12, and then you kind of had this huge Jordan Wright run, um, into, and he was absolutely excellent, and he has been the last couple games. We've given him some grief all season because we saw what he could be early in the year. Then I think we would all agree he kind of slumped in the middle of the SEC slate. Last five games, Vanderbilt's 4-1. and one. He's 32 of 51 from the field, so shooting well over 60%. He's just been really, really good, and it, it seems like it's a different Jordan Wright right now. I think he's making a lot of quicker decisions. I think he's pulling the trigger on those three balls, um, and obviously going against the Belmont team with a little less athleticism, a little less size is helpful for him as kind of like a bigger combo guard, but I think he's been the key to Vanderbilt's recent really good play. Basketball is such a sport of confidence, yeah. and Jordan Wright just was oozing it last Tuesday for... Uh, you know, he he was he had such an interplay with the crowd, and it really felt like um, that made the difference for him. I, I don't know, obviously, what you can never tell what kind of performance he would have had otherwise, but it's hard to say he he would have done as well had he not been you know hyped up by the crowd and him hyping up the crowd and everyone was into it. Um, it just I honestly think that he was. I mean. The, just the biggest difference maker in in that I've I've seen Vanderbilt have in a long time. Right, and it shows a couple of things. First thing, it shows that the game against Kentucky is not a fluke, and that's, that's true, really yeah. important. And then also with Jordan, he went five for five to begin the game, which is a pretty impeccable start. And then if you look at the stat, it's a bit deceiving because there was one possession where he missed like three uh, mid-range jump shots, which he would usually make eight, nine times out of ten. Um, and then you also have to give credit to Scotty playing a decoy. Me and Justin were talking off air actually at the game about it with maybe Scotty wasn't having the best game offensively, maybe not taking the shots that Vanderbilt fans are expecting him to, but he sure is luring the defenders in, in make, playing as a decoy. They're trying to take their B Vanderbilt's best player away, and it's providing 
you know, a lot of opportunities for Jordan, a lot of good shots for Jordan. And uh, like you said, it's a game of confidence, and Wright has really gained a newfound confidence in these past two games. And let's talk about Scotty for a sec before um, kind of going into this Dayton game coming up because I think, you know, with 10 field goals last game, Jordan Wright became the second, the third player of the Stackhouse era to have consecutive games of 10 field goals, and Scotty and Aaron Neesmith are the other two. And I think for a while, Vanderbilt has expected, Vanderbilt fans have expected Scotty Pippen Jr. to carry the load. They think they, that he needs to carry the load uh, to really get this team to where they want to be. What do you guys think of Scotty's recent performances, particularly the last couple games? Obviously, shooting the ball from the field has been a struggle. Um, he's, you know, just 9 of 43 in his last three games, which is under 25%. So how do you evaluate how Pippen's played the last couple games? I, I do think there's a difference between how he played in the Kentucky game versus this game. Because Fair. when you watch this game, it felt much more like he was letting others shine. Mm -hmm. And he did have six assists, and he only had two turnovers and uh, a steal to add to that. And even though he didn't have the point totals, you just you could kind of see that he was always a threat, and he let guys like Tyron Lawrence and Jordan Wright and Rodney Chapman go out there and have the hot hand and, and lead Vanderbilt. And I think that is not, you know, that's not really a knock on him. I can't really say, come out of the game and say that Scotty should have taken over more because quite honestly, I think he played it right. I think I would have been, uh, you know, surprised to see him take some of the shots that he was able to just feed to Jordan Wright at the basket and get some easy layups. Yeah, and and to go back a bit, maybe we we have to see, we have to realize that it's a really long season. Scotty's played every game this season, which is pretty impressive. And he has he has higher hopes. He wants to be going to the NBA next season. He is. I do think he's trying his hardest, but maybe he's having that mentality. Maybe it's the end of the season. Maybe maybe having a different play style. Maybe trying to show the world that he is a really good passer. He can facilitate. He doesn't because against the Kentucky game. Went two for 17, I think. It was a lot of air balls, a lot of shots that was like, why are you chucking it? Why are you taking shots so early in the shot clock? Scotty was very poised. I do think he was a little passive and tentative, but I, I maybe that was a blessing in disguise. It gave Jordan and um, Quinn Malore, Brown, and Liam Robbins a lot of opportunities and a lot of good looks. He, sh I completely agree with the fact that he showed a different look because at this end of the season, he's had trouble hitting free throws in clutch time. He went six for seven on free throws. Um, he really found other people. He showed that he could work in a team because it does not, it does not look great to me for his draft stock to see that the Vanderbilt's record when he scores more than 25. Um, yeah. So the fact that he is able to kind of play with the team, which the M today's NBA is completely relying on that. You can't have a one-man team. Um, because they're going to end up exactly like Vanderbilt was, losing a lot of games. And especially like Scotty, who would be playing for like a 10-day contract or playing in a summer league. You're not going to be a marquee not the guy. lottery yeah. pick. You, you have to understand you're not going to be the best player. So you have to learn how to understand the fundamentals of being a role player, being a really good facilitator, being a good defender, and uh, kind of not letting the other teams take open shots. That's what I saw from Scotty, and I think people might not understand that on paper. But when you dive deeper, maybe he just had a more facilitated approach and said, maybe I don't need to win the game. Maybe let Jordan and all the the four other people win the game. And that's what happened in LSU with, with Rodney Chapman. That's what happened with really all of Vanderbilt's late-night wins. It's when Scotty tries to take over when Vanderbilt loses. I think there's a very different flair to that Kentucky game 
and probably the Alabama game too to this game. I think I would argue in this game, first of all, he had a really good defender on him. That kid, um, uh, Murphy, I believe his name is, is one of the best defenders in the OVC. I think he won the the conference's Defensive Player of the Year award. So that's one. Two, Pippen didn't four shots on a really good defender, which I thought was really important and showed some growth because obviously he had was playing against really good defenders in Alabama and Kentucky, but forced up some shots that probably weren't there. I think he let the game come to him a lot. And even when forcing those shots, he still has 20 assists and just six turnovers in these last three games. That's some of his best stretch of ball of the year and probably of his career at Vanderbilt. So I think that's really, uh, that's that's optimistic for this team. And I think when we're seeing that when Vanderbilt is fully healthy and they get 14 points out of Liam Robbins, you get 10 points out of Rodney Chapman. I think when you get those contributions, I bet Scotty doesn't feel like he has to take some of those shots. I think the other thing is, I definitely thought he looked a little tired um, in this game. I don't know what it was. I think, um, you know, that was probably their, let's see, fourth game in five or fourth game in six days maybe, um, which is definitely a lot of games. So, you know, maybe you give them a pass on that. They'll have three, four, five, almost five days of full rest before this one. they haven't had in a while. Which they have not had in a while considering the grind of the SEC tournament. So I think that's going to be huge. How much, diving into this Dayton team a little bit, I think obviously one of the big storylines is that it's Rodney Chapman's former team. I think he'll be familiar with kind of what goes on there. They have a really good program. They kind of dominated Toledo in their round one matchup. Their point guard, Malachi Smith, uh, was seen on crutches during the game against Toledo, so have to think he's probably going to be inactive. But this team has SEC caliber length and athleticism um, that Belmont certainly didn't have. They have a top 40 defense. Um, their center, Deron Holmes, could be a real problem. He's one of the best defensive centers uh, in the country. So I guess, guys, for me, I need a little bit more scoring out of Pippen Jr. because I don't expect Jordan Wright to have the kind of success that he's had the last couple games just because Dayton is a really good defensive team. But I think Miles Studi becomes also a huge key. Yeah, Studi honestly did not. I was I was reminded a couple times when Studi would hoist up a three, he went over four that he was he was on the team. I mean, he he made impacts in other ways, but I definitely think there's a lot of room for him to improve offensively. And like you said, I don't think you have to expect Jordan to do quite as well. But I also think that there's a lot of players who can do what they regularly do and have a lot of success against this team. Um, and yeah, Rodney Chapman, big boost, and it helps to be at home with more rest. And, and to go back to Dayton, they're forty first in the Ken Palm. The way Vanderbilt played against Belmont, who were who's a very unathletic team, they they shoot very well and they're very fundamental. The 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 key to success and the key to to winning the game will be way different. You can't have Jordan Wright driving the entire game and, and t- kicking out. He Jordan Wright is built like an SEC forward, and to, and Dayton will have those type of people that can match up against them. Belmont yeah. didn't have that. That's going to be a really important factor. Another thing is Rodney's twenty two years old, I believe, and he is he. This is his last show. He's going to be really elated to be playing this game. And and we were we were talking about off air, or no, we were talking about it last episode how maybe Dayton might not be as um, excited because they're they're usually an NCAA tournament team, but it really looks like they're ready, and I think this is the type of competition that I think Vanderbilt has been preparing for, and they just need to just not be making those early turnovers and early mistakes that they did against Belmont because you can't come back the way Vanderbilt did last game 
against Dayton because Dayton's more disciplined, more physical, and more athletic than Belmont was. Vanderbilt and Dayton are very comparable athletically. Maybe Dayton's a bigger team, and that's why I'm, you know, that's why Vanderbilt needs to play a near perfectly disciplined game to to edge out uh, Dayton. I think this will be a tough game, no lot, no doubt about it. I think Dayton will be playing for a possible home game in that quarterfinal matchup against Xavier or Florida, so they will be able to get back home, I believe. So they have a lot to play for here. Who knows how engaged they actually will be. I think a few keys for me. Obviously, Miles Studi has got to get going, but I think Liam Robbins is going to be a tough matchup for Deron Holmes, uh, Dayton Center. I think if you can get Deron Holmes and out of the paint. I think that opens up a lot for Pippen Jr. and Wright. So even Jerry Stackhouse talked about it today that um, Liam Robbins has kind of consistently hit that first three in a lot of the games he's played and then missed those kind of second, third, fourth attempts in some of these games. So I think multiple threes from Liam Robbins would be huge. And then I come back to rebounding. Vanderbilt out-rebounded Belmont by 14 the other day and had 13 second chance points off of that. When Dayton's on and beating good teams like VCU, Kansas, and others, they're out-rebounding their opponents, and I think that's been a key for Vanderbilt most of this season, but Vanderbilt certainly cannot be out-rebounded by this team, judging by, judging, considering the fact that Liam Robbins and QMB um, will be sizable matchups for uh, Deron Holmes. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we Vanderbilt only gave up five offensive rebounds, and they got 13. A lot of those coming from uh, Quentin Malore. Huge, that's huge. And I just think you you see Liam Robbins, and he's starting to look more comfortable, and he's starting to see the ball go through the hoop a lot more, and I think he's due for a breakout game. I don't know when, you know, I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to happen, but I do think that there's guys on this team who are, are kind of ready to pop off, and I think Liam Robbins is obviously the prime candidate, um, but I do love the rotation that they have going right now, and I think it's been super effective, and I see no reason why they can't continue to dominate the boards um, in this upcoming game. Yeah, and dominating the boards will be really important. Another thing that Vanderbilt needs to do better than they did against Belmont is shoot the three ball. Yeah, There were a lot of times when Jermaine Mann, Drew Weikert, and Tyron Lawrence had shots that um, Trey Thomas would have had. Trey Thomas is probably going to be out for the next few games. He is out. He is out with that hamstring injury. That's really brutal for Vanderbilt. Maybe people might say, look, he's undersized and a liability on defense, but he absolutely is not a liability as a shooter. He's one of Vanderbilt's best three-point shooters, and maybe Studi needs to be taking those shots. Maybe it's Scotty. Maybe it's Jordan because that's how Vanderbilt has been winning those SEC games. It's about shooting the three ball. It's not about playing super physical. I mean, yeah, that's important, but Dayton, Dayton you, you can't – be more physical than Dayton. I just don't see that. That's why I think the three ball is going to be really the deciding factor, and someone's going to need to be stepping it up. As we've talked about, though, Trey Thomas might have been more useful in that Belmont game than he would be in definitely this size game. wise for sure. Uh, yeah. So, although obviously it was notable for him to be out that last game, and, and it shows in the stat sheet, you know, we sh- Vanderbilt shot six of twenty four from three. I think. Looking forward, you do have to to put the onus on guys like Studi and Pippen and even guys like Robbins to to start um, stepping up and hitting those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Vanderbilt will be in action on Sunday at two p.m. The baseball game will be at noon, um, and then we'll roll into uh, some more basketball. It'll be a whiteout at Memorial. Very exciting. But let's move on to the women's side because. 
they had a big win too of their own. Um, really dominated uh, Murray State. This wasn't uh, much of a game for that second half. Uh, Vanderbilt finished the game on a 16 to one run, outscored Murray State by 26 in the second half. And so much thanks to Jordan Cambridge. Um, she's just been, you know, the heart and soul of this squad all year. And obviously, no Brene Alexander, be- Vanderbilt's leading scorer, because she's in the transfer portal. Um, and Cambridge stepped up in her place. She hit a career high sh- uh, with nine shots, nine made shots, career high with 24 points, career high with five threes. Five is more than, I think, maybe three or four more than she's ever hit in a single game. So she was absolutely excellent. And I think, you know, Shea Rob said it after, like if she expands her offensive game a little bit, she could be a problem if she keeps playing basketball. And we think that she will be back next year. She's in grad, she's going to be in grad school. So I think that's a huge sign for Vanderbilt, but just more evidence that this team is hungry to keep playing basketball and, and does it in a way that's um, conducive to winning. I really don't think that Jordan Cambridge's performance from beyond the arc can be understated. Yeah. Because... Do you know what? What do you think her her max for the season was before this? She had I made think one, maybe one, 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 and she had taken the most she'd taken is six. I mean, to go five from nine, and that third quarter was obviously huge. And the biggest thing there was that they went five for five beyond the arc and stretched the floor. And we we talked about before. We said, where's the offense going to come from? Who is going to stretch the court other than Ayanna Moore? And uh, Damari Flournoy took some shots, but she went over three from deep. And so if Cambridge doesn't hit those. You only have could to guard one game. player. Yeah, you only have to guard game. one player. And I think it's going to be important for Cambridge to, to continue that confidence and keep uh, hoisting up threes. But I, I I mean, super impressed to go five for nine after being, you know, a historically not quite as a strong three-point shooter. Right, and Coach Rouse has been saying it all year that the five women that she puts out, out there, she trusts and she believes in. And this, this really showed that with Cambridge's uh, showing and – Everyone said that, I mean, without the leading scorer in Brene Alexander, that maybe Vanderbilt wouldn't know know how to generate points and they would need to find new ways. But really, Cambridge didn't look uncomfortable, didn't look like the opportunity in the, the game was too big for her. That was really huge. And the game wasn't even close. Even from the beginning, it was a, a domination the entire time. And I think that's a testament to the stout defense that Vanderbilt um, has, has integrated and um, embraced the past few months. And... It's going to be exciting going going through with the tournament, how how the team reacts and adapts to uh, Cambridge kind of being that lead scorer because she's usually that defensive player, but it really shows that she can really do anything. Yeah, and I think the the shot disparity made a lot of sense. You saw Ayanna Moore get 12 shots. Sasha Washington was aggressive with 14 shots. Both of them had 16 points. No threes from anyone not named Ayanna Moore or Jordan Cambridge, but let's be honest, I'm not sure that we would expect threes from anywhere else. I mean, uh, Damari Flournoy, while, while she has some potential, hasn't shown the capability to hit him too consistently. So I think the box score makes a lot of sense, and the game plan made a lot of sense. They forced 23 turnovers. They dominated the paint. Um, they won the rebounding battle. So all that stuff just points to wins, and, and they got it done. So they'll, had to, they'll actually play uh, another home game here in Nashville on Monday against Liberty, and that one should be interesting. I don't know too much about Liberty, but they did win their first round matchup against Campbell. And I think you got to, uh, the interesting part of all this is that without Brene Alexander, you're getting a real taste for what this team might look like next year, um, especially if Cambridge is back, which we do think she will be. So 
you know, it's interesting to see what Cambridge could possibly do in a more scoring-focused role. She still had six assists. She still grabbed nine rebounds. She still had five steals. That's pretty darn impressive to also carry the offensive load. And by the way, that's at the end of a season where she averaged about 34 minutes a game. Right. She's playing a ton. She's playing a ton, and both her and Ayanna Moore played over 34 minutes in this game. Luckily, they'll have four days of rest in between the two. Um, But yeah, I mean... It, you can't heap enough praise on what she has done at the end of this season. Uh, obviously, a triple double against Texas A&M, and this performance super impressive. The other thing that was um, a major key for Vanderbilt in this game was the play on the boards and the play in the paint. They outscored. I realize the the score is there's a big disparity overall, but of course there's a huge disparity in the paint. Vanderbilt outscored Murray State 32 to 14 and out rebounded them. Uh, 37 to 31, but 14 to five on the offensive boards. Those second chance points are huge and going to continue to be so um, because, you know, let's face it, Vanderbilt can get cold and it is possible that those shots aren't falling next game. And those easy buckets, those offensive rebounds, um, putbacks are going to be super important going forward. Yeah. And going back to, to the rebounds, I just want to just touch more on Cambridge. She's one steal away from, uh, having the Vanderbilt record in steals, that's really important. People said at the beginning of the season it wouldn't be attained. It was She was at 103 about six games ago. Uh, Deborah Denton holds, holds that record. I think that was um, a while ago. So that that's going to be really important, important. And we know that statistically she'll probably have at least two steals in that game. And like you said, going against Liberty, if Vanderbilt plays the way they did last game, they can really play against anyone. And that's what the SEC tournament shows you. When you're in the best conference in women's basketball and you're competing against those best teams, it gives you confidence. You look at the men's team, you look at the women's team, it's kind of like they're on the same path. They started off slow, they were getting into a system, and then they're kind of coming into their own late in the season, which is really encouraging for for next year and years to come. Yeah, it is interesting because it it shows you how, like, I don't know what the word is, but like how good the SEC is for Vanderbilt to just step out of the SEC and dominate um, an opponent like this in the postseason. Liberty's not lost a lot of games. They're twenty-eight and four. They went fourteen and two in their conference. Um, couple Power Five losses, but uh, did beat Virginia Tech at home. So this will be an interesting game, and uh, we'll have you covered as always uh, from the Vanderbilt Hustler. But very exciting to have basketball still around. We know the Vandy boys are taking on Missouri this weekend in their first SEC series. We'll have you covered all weekend long on our website. And we'll get to talking about them as soon as this postseason run at wraps up. But who knows when that might be. Hope all of y'all, y'all's brackets are doing better than ours. And uh, we will uh, talk to you next week.